Well, good morning. My name is Ernest Gray, and I want to thank you for tuning in and to hearing uh, me share with you this morning at Emmanuel Anglican Church. I was invited to do so by Father Aaron Damiani. He and I have a long history together. I believe that we were mimicking our own educational journeys together as we both went to school at Moody and Wheaton and finally made our way back to Moody in the years beyond. I wanna thank you for allowing me to come into your home. I don't know where you are, but I thank you uh, for inviting me in. I'm coming to you from Keystone Baptist Church, the church that I pastor here in West Garfield Park at 4035 West Maypole, Chicago, Illinois. I've been fortunate to share in this church for the last 10 years, both as an interim and now as pastor of the church. And all along this time, I've come to realize how God is at work in a community like West Garfield Park. Though we have had our challenges, God is doing something extraordinary here on the West Side. So without further ado, let me please ask you to please pray with me for just a moment as we get into the word. Our God and our Father in heaven, I thank you this morning for the express privilege that we have been given to enter into your presence, to delight in you, to hear from heaven, and God, to be molded and shaped into your image. Father, I pray that um, you would allow me to decrease, that you might increase within me. I pray, God, that you would grant me uh, wisdom from on high, and that you, Lord, would stand in my body, that you would think with my mind, that you would articulate with my tongue. Render me an oracle for the Lord Jesus. Thank you as well, Father, for the saints at Emmanuel. May they, in this moment, as they are separate yet together, experience your presence in new ways, even in the moment in which we're living. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, Father Aaron invited me to share with you, as you all have been embarking on a journey through Jeremiah, gladly, having not had enough experience in the book itself, I thought it would be a wonderful experience for me myself. And so it is without further ado that I would like to share, ask that if you have a copy of the scriptures, would you please grab them and meet me in the book of Jeremiah? And in particularly, uh, Jeremiah chapter 18, as we will be looking there today together. Jeremiah 18 verses 1 through 23. Now, I imagine that someone has already shared with you and read through the scriptures themselves, so I will not do so today, but I will begin uh, in this manner. Earthworks, a company in Barbados that has positioned itself to be no ordinary pottery, relies upon a team of artisans to craft beautiful vessels. I have a couple of them right in front of me today. Here is a specimen, it's a small vase. You may not be able to see it very clearly, but nevertheless, it's a small vase, it's blue and white, and it has some brown, some brown notes within it as well. It's a rather lovely, lovely piece. 
It's also been glazed. It has a particular glaze around the outside of it. It is typical of what Earthworks produces. I've had an up close and personal look at the process since the owner of Earthworks is a personal family friend of ours. My wife is from Barbados. And Earthworks, in particular, the owner, Goldie Spieler, has been a particular help to our family. She's a member of my wife's church, and she's also the proprietor of this company. You see, the colors, the shapes, the models that they have crafted all demonstrate beautiful artistry. And after walking through the factory several times, I've seen a fair share of pottery that have made it into these beautiful specimens and others that I would say, well, maybe just fail to launch. What do we learn from a well-known passage like the one we are exploring today? The potter and the clay. We learn that suffering and upheaval provide us with a remarkable opportunity to be reshaped by the Lord himself into the people he originally called us to become. It is through this process, God's formation and fire, that can help us to become a more faithful people, ones who house God's life-giving spirit. So I'd like to communicate with you today, I'd like to communicate to you today, God's desire of formation through fire, which can yield freedom within the Christian community. I suspect that we can learn a lot from this today as we live in these unprecedented times. Perhaps we might gain a new lens to view God's long suffering and mercy, or perhaps a novel approach to God's forbearance. I'd say all of this and more. I suspect that we will find God patiently forming us and informing us to amend our ways and make efforts to inform our corporate community to do the same. In Jeremiah 18, the prophet is tasked with providing a dramatization, a melodrama, if you will, of what he will do if the people of God fail to repent. I was struck in preparing and prayerfully delivering this message to you that you will, that you will also hear the words of the prophet as he demonstrates the necessity to conform to the process of centering, of scoring, of shaping, the wants, uh, what he wants to do in this moment that we are living in. I pray that we, would, that we would discern his heavy handedness in the process of making us into a new community of Christ followers. So what exactly is going on in this text? What exactly is Jeremiah getting at and conveying it to his audience? I think there are, I think that there are four moves or three moves, if you will, that God makes to mold us into his vessels. And the first move is this. God makes, God is expressing his desire to form us. As I mentioned before, in a melodramatic way, God gives instructions to Jeremiah. His instructions are never monolithic. As a matter of fact, when we look at prophetic material, we're always struck by just how esoteric and how awkward, downright bizarre the imagery is that God gives to his prophets. Jeremiah is, no, is not unique. He simply says, go down to the potter's house, verse two, and there I will give you a message. 
It's in obedience we can experience the unfolding of God's desires for us. And in verses 1 through 10, we, experience, we see this melodramatically played out. This tactile teaching moment with the picture of a potter sitting behind a wheel is quite vivid. It's a careful and delicate image, a relational one that informs us that God has his hands upon us. You see, if you missed it already, that's you on the slab. It's me on the slab. And it is God who is ultimately molding the outcome of our lives. But keep listening. In this exchange, God notes, however, quote, the pot in the potter's hand was marred so that the potter formed it into another pot through the process we know of as throwing. Can't you see the potter now throwing this, this pot back into, back onto the slab? Can't you see him starting all over again? Can't you see him, in essence, taking this hunk of clay and, 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 and folding it back over, tossing some water into it, and beginning to spin the wheel once again in order to form and to shape right before your very eyes? It's not unlike the process that we undergo when God desires to shape us toward an outcome of his own choosing. And as painful as that process can be, perhaps the pain of starting over, perhaps the, the unpleasantries of adjusting to a pandemic, perhaps the uncomfortable responsibility at looking at your understanding of race and racism in our country. All of these are like a reshaping process wherein the excess is stripped away. God is making us over again. God continues by noting uh, that this is us. Yahweh says, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? Of course, verse five is but a rhetorical question. Of course, God can. And indeed, he does. He always shapes. He always molds. He always reshapes. And sometimes he even takes what he started and throws it back on the wheel, adds a little bit of water, and begins to form anew in our lives. God can and does much more than this. You see, God is the one who deposes kings and sets up others. God exposes injustice and gives no-name people the opportunity to speak truth to power. God uproots nations, as mentioned in verse 8. And all of this is meant to convey that God can and does elicit change from us when he perceives that we are going in the wrong direction, when he perceives that we are being formed and, dis and deformed in a way that only he can correct. Sometimes our actions are misguided. Sometimes the direction in which we find our lives traveling is misguided. And as a church, we're very slow to admit our own, our own blindness, our own uh, fault lines, our own complicity, and the way in which our community has been deformed. I've been reading a little devotional uh, by Jacques Ellul, French theologian and philosopher. 
And today's thought in particular really hit home for me. As he notes, quote, in our refractory world, things do not always turn out as expected. Not even for the Christian. Sometimes suffering and deprivation follow on the heels of our doing good. Sometimes blessings come our way when the opposite is deserved. Elul, in emphasizing the intractable nature of the social reality, notes that the struggle for freedom has multiplied dictators. And equally, the church has often brought bigotry and the doing of good has bred dependence. The challenge in all of this is not that we drop all, all expectations and cease to do good. Rather, it is that we leave the results to God and strive to live in a more open and less controlling way, end quote. God is in the results business. And when he desires to throw us, to hoist us back onto the wheel, saints, when he desires to, 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 to remold, to reshape us again, we must relinquish control, for he alone knows what is best, best for us. Loved ones, we must partner with God the Holy Spirit in this process of formation, for therein lies the first move of this text, that God desires to form us, to shape us, to, to, to remove the excess, the unnecessary baggage of our lives in order to shape us into what he desires. We must partner with the Holy Spirit in the process of being formed more to his liking, being challenged for his purposes, for therein are we able to do the most good and become the most useful. And in the immediate context of these first 10 verses, the clarion call is to repentance it is there on the page. It is there. It is unabashedly said. He says, can I not do this with you, Israel? Declares the Lord like clay in the hand of the potter. So you are in my hand. If at any time I announce that a nation or king is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed. And if that nation I warned repents of its evil, I will relent. And I will not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. You see, God commands us to, to, to repent in order to avoid the potential disaster if we choose, that will come to us if we choose to be hardened. That's the first move in the text. There is a second move that I want to draw your attention to, located in verses 11 through 17. A second move make, that God makes to convey his desire is through the fire. As you know, artisans who work with clay mold and shape until the vessel is ready to be fired, fired in the kiln. Kilns range in heat, and I recall seeing that the one in Earthworks in Barbados was quite unique in the extraordinary heat it can produce. They fire up the clay, and, through, and though inanimate, the clay is essentially put through hell. Verse 11 through 17 remind me of the fire. Yahweh gives ample opportunity for the people of God to repent prior to the fire and even goes to the lengths of telling them that the fire is coming. Listen to the words of verse 11. 
Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I'm preparing disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways. Do a 180. Go back. Relent, repent. Each one of you and reform your ways and your actions. You see, verse, these verses are tailored to teach us several things, that Yahweh gives ample opportunity for the people to repent prior to the fire and even goes to great lengths to tell them that the fire is even coming their way. You see, we had no warning prior uh, to the arrival of COVID-19. We had no indication that a, ra a racial and cultural upheaval was coming, yet God prepared these moments to expose our lack of creaturely dependence, our hard-heartedness, our determinism to have things our own way. God prepared these moments to expose our lack of faith. And he notes in verse 11 that you ought to turn from them, turn from your ways, each of you, give and reform your ways and your actions right here Judah was given opportunity to get back on the slab. Somehow, some way, Judah had gotten off the slab. You see, I'm still working with the imagery, if you will. The potter, that is God, had not yet finished the work. He, he was still in the process, but, but it's as if the slab, as inanimate as it is, just was able to shimmy on down off the slab. Judah was given opportunity to get back on the slab, to undergo the process of being remolded, refashioned, reshaped. But instead of doing so, they chose not to. Verse 12 says that the reply of Judah was, huh, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. We will follow all the stubbornness of our evil hearts. Saints, this oracle that Jeremiah shares on behalf of Yahweh demonstrates that the actions of Judah were as irrational, were as insubordinate, as foolish, as unprecedented among the nations as any had ever seen. And what follows in verses 13 through 17, it almost appears poetic. Yahweh goes into what amounts to be a diatribe against Judah, telling them, look, look, listen, listen. <laughs> has everything, has anything like this ever been seen before? A diatribe against Judah, noting the profundity of their actions and how he will be justified in dealing with them because they refuse to repent. Note well how out of sorts their behavior actually was. I, I, I can recall seeing in person the snow-capped peaks of, of Mount Hermon in Lebanon. I remember seeing them off in the distance that we were at the Nimrod Castle as we were heading up Banias and Caesarea Philippi. I could see off in the distance the, the snow-capped mountain of Mount Hermon and that all the time, all throughout the year, it was always snow-capped. And yet here, 
This illustration was used as a foil to say that Judah's lack of repentance was as likewise just as unheard of. Does snow, does the snow of Lebanon ever vanish from its rocky slopes? It's another rhetorical question to say, no, it, 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 it doesn't. It, it doesn't do this. There's always snow on the peak of Mount Hermon. He goes on to note to note that since these snow caps are the headwaters of the Jordan, they have never dried up. Yet God's people were guilty of doing actions that no one had ever heard or seen of. They had selective amnesia. He throws a little flashback to Jeremiah chapter 17 and the idol factory of their hearts as, as they worship one half of a wooden image and burn incense to the other. He notes that they were the object of horror. They were the objects of scorn. They were the objects of abandoning ancient paths and subject to scattering. I believe, Emmanuel, that a warning is embedded here. One which says, take repentance, corporate that is, very seriously. Or face the fire of God's judgment. I am not the prophet nor am I a son of a prophet. But I, knew to, uh, but I do know that God is speaking through the events of this year, saints. He's speaking through COVID. He's speaking through black bodies senselessly murdered by those charged to protect them and by those who have been devalued by the society that they revert to violence and trauma and survival. All these point to the kiln. These point to the fire. These point to the oven. These point to the fire that continues to rage in our society. And it is meant to grab our attention. It's a crucible. A fire that we're facing, which is meant to return us to a posture of dependence and submission to God's shaping. I remember when I was a grad student, Father Aaron might get a kick out of this because I'm pretty sure he had an interaction uh, with, this, with this individual. But while in graduate school, I needed to petition a certain department chair in order to get into a class. And I had waited too long. I suspect that I didn't, wasn't paying attention to the deadline dates in which you were to register for the following semester. I had waited until the last day, and by this time I was panicking. So I went to this particular department chair's his office, and I and I and I knocked on the door, and I said, "Dr. Schultz, um, I, I apologize for for coming in such a in such a hasty moment, but I, I would really like to get into this class. Can you can you sign me in?" And while he was busy at work and while he was there tending to his other responsibilities, I, I will never forget the response he gave me because it stuck with me and it sticks with me to this day. He not only did he take the piece of paper to sign me into the class, but he said something as I was walking out that literally struck me. He said to me, reform your ways by next semester. Do things differently. Don't wait till the last moment. Try to do it in a better way. Prepare in advance. 
Saints, in this moment in which we're living, the fire that we're experiencing, we may not ever, we may not we may not have ever had the opportunity to avoid the fire. But 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 God is in the process of shaping us, and we should allow him to complete his work. What am I trying to say? We may not avoid the fire, but we can partner with God the Holy Spirit to shape us before we enter the kiln of his refining. We must reform our ways and reform the way in which we relate to God and relate to others so that when we emerge from the fire, we will be a worthy vessel, a habitat for his Holy Spirit, a veritable new community shaped to resemble his designs. When we allow God to move us into formation, when we when we when we subject ourselves to the slab and the wheel and when we are when we are placed in his hands and when we are molded and shaped into the design that he has for us. We are reminded as well that we can ultimately experience real freedom. Freedom and uniqueness to carry out the mission we're called to. I'm going to infer this idea of freedom from the text because unfortunately I will not be able to cover verses 18 through 23 in this message. But I will say this, as all prophetic material tends to follow a similar pattern, so too does Jeremiah. The call to repentance is clear. And indeed we as a church that is big C church have a lot to, to, look, to repent and lament about. But beyond this, we also need not see God's refining fire as punitive. The fire of a kiln makes the structure of the pot much stronger. The fire of a kiln, we, we, we need to be reminded that even the challenging year of 2020 can be our means of being strengthened and more resilient. It is why I believe Paul aptly refers to us as jars of clay in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 9. Yes, we're fragile people. And instead of a symbol of strength, sometimes he uses a symbol of fragility. I know it to be true, and I suspect you feel it too. But the potter and the clay are tailored to teach us a couple of truths. Number one, that God wants us to form, God wants to form us. He wants to mold us. He wants to shape us. And in many times that molding and shaping, the, the, the requirement on our end is that of repentance. He requires that of us. He requires us to do a 180, to turn around, to shove. There's a second thing, though, and that is that we all are we are all undergoing the fire of the kiln. Once God has shaped us into what he wants us to be, it is, unavoid it is an unavoidable fact of life that we will go through difficulty. But sometimes for us, for us who are people of faith, it is, it is the potential that that fire will make us stronger. I trust that God will do the same in you as he is doing in me. And I am thankful that I've been able to come into your homes today. We may not, I, I do hope to, I do hope to see you in person at some point. But until that time, let me leave you with this. 
The pottery that I have before me, not only is it able to withstand normal use in our kitchen, but it has a subtle glaze upon it and beautiful, beautiful artistic work. There's colors, there's, there's the brush stroke of a paintbrush, there's, there's all kinds of designs. And, and if I had time, I would take you to my home to show you all of the beautiful pieces of pottery that we have collected over the years from Earthworks. It is but to remind you that once we undergo the fire, God has the potential of doing something beautiful. Uh, of shaping us, of adding color to our lives, of adding just an, a uniqueness to us that only he, only he could design, only he could beautify. You are a beautiful saint. And God wants to continue to shape and mold you into a vessel that is tough like this one, able to withstand the fires that we find ourselves in, even in moments like these. Would you please pray with me? Our God and our Father in heaven, we thank you that we have been able to open your word and to listen anew to the means by which you call your people to repentance and the means by which you refine them and make them stronger. I pray you do that good work in and through the people of Emmanuel. I pray, God, that you would use this opportunity in order to draw us nearer to you, to not shun uh, the refining process, the, the painful process of formation, but to invite it into our lives so that it becomes the means by which we grow and mature. And above all, Lord, help us to partner with the Holy Spirit as we become vessels, fragile clay pots even, as Paul says, jars of clay, where you, uh, your Holy Spirit, can find habitat. So I thank you this, I thank you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you.